Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winging It F1 podcast. Still no Adam Dickinson, he going on a very, very long holiday. And speaking of long, I've got Mr. Freddy coat with his very long hair. Oh. Don't worry, Freddy, with his long hair. <laughs> he hasn't cut it for since, well, January, I think. Yeah, January. Uh, so, yeah, it's just us two. Again, we're going to be <laughs> pre- previewing the <laughs> Belgium Grand Prix. I really wish I didn't. <laughs> Such a weird introduction, mate. Yeah, I know. Things <laughs> that come into my head. Really weird. Uh, Good lord. Yeah. Belgian Grand Prix. Speaking uh, of long, it's Spa Racetrack. Very yeah, seven, all seven kilometres of it. And it's on its original date, one of the very few races that are uh, on the date it was meant to be on the original 2020 calendar. It's a track that. I think most people like Freddie. Do you? How do you rate it? Is it one of your favourites on the schedule? Yeah, I really like it. It's one of those tracks that I always kind of look at and think, "We're racing here. We're actually are. Wow, that's so special." <laughs> like I'm kind of used to a Formula One in a Bahrain or a Cota, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, there's a purpose-built track, but somewhere like Spa, it's a bit like it's got like to me, it's got sort of a mystique, and you sort of look at it, <laughs> and it's a bit like. Well, we're actually racing at Spa. Wow, this actually is the Belgian Grand Prix. That's so cool to me. I get the same as Monza. <laughs> Do you think it's Spa? Well, what is your favourite F1 track on the calendar? Is it Spa? Because I think some people would say it is. I think for me, Spa would definitely be in the top although I do think it's lost some of its character, you know, all these gravel traps and that kind of thing. I know what you mean. Poo on without a gravel trap seems a bit weird, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of the top ones. I'm a bit, oh, I don't know. I do love Silverstone. I've got that <laughs> connection with Silverstone. It's just like, even with this layout, the previous layout, the layout before that is just like, wow, still amazing. So that's Silverstone for me. But Spa is, you know, it's nearly there. Yeah, so not yeah. quite. Not quite. Not quite. Okay. Right. I'm not driving so... them though, so who am I to say? <laughs> Yeah, I love so, Hungary to drive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Spa is, is probably the easiest track to overtake on. I think that's fair to say, the uphill, uh, uphill Kemmel straight into Lodcom. So we're going to see a lot of overtaking, Freddie, and, and this track. Well, what are the key challenges, I guess, for the drivers and the teams at about Spa? What makes Spa so unique to the calendar? Well, Spa, it's, it's, it's a typical high-speed F1 track in that you've got to really balance how you're going to trim out the aero, um, get rid of all of that drag, but also keep in enough downforce in the car. It's, it's sort of it, it's the challenge of a high-speed Formula 1 track with fiddly bits. It's got, it's got the um, corner with no name. It's got Lecom. It's got La Source. It's got the bus stop. A chicane at the end, and it's got the bit at the bottom. Stavolo, it's got Stavolo. Yes, yes, it's got Stavolo, which are all you know. They're sort of medium speed corners and some slightly slower corners. So they they've got to you know carry the speed through the corners, but also be able to absolutely floor it down the straights and not bottom out by the time they get to the top of um the the gear rate rev limiter. Yes. Uh, I, think, I think the thing I love about it is the, is the first lap because it's, it might be better to be second 
on the grid, or at least second yeah. grid off turn one, because then you get the slipstream fest through Eau Rouge, Radion down the straight on the first lap. I, I remember 2018 when Vettel, Hamilton, and the two racing points nearly went four wide. It was incredible. They did go four wide. Uh, yeah, yeah. On the on um, and, the, you know, in um, twenty fifteen, Sergio Perez again got a fantastic start because that was when they um, brought in all the new starting regulations for that mm. race specifically, and um, Sergio Perez was in second at the end of the first lap, but on the timing beam at the end of sector one, he was in first because yes. he was side by side with Lewis Hamilton, and that was Force India at the time in twenty fifteen. Force India fighting for the lead. It was brilliant. Mm, yeah, um, um, you know we, we've seen so many magical moments there. You know, most famously the what I call the most over overrated <laughs> overtaken F one Hackenden on Schumacher in two thousand was Alter in the in the middle, and you know you get overtakes at least every two or three laps at, at Lecom, and it's yeah we see great mm. action. But Freddie, you were telling me before this that you prefer the old old layout. Why is that? I just quite like the um. The curved pit lane start. <laughs> it just looks kind of cool. That's about it, really. Um, <laughs> that leads then into the sort of the that lead, then the bus stop sort of then leads into a nice. If you look at like 2005 and back, nice sort of curved, kind of weird, bit quirky, very old school, very very old school actually. <laughs> um, I just quite like that, um, but it still looks really cool now. And the rest of the track is all still just brilliant. Just, yeah, I, I think that's one little thing. It's just a bit like, that's cool. I like that. It's a shame it's not that. I don't care too much because it's still good. Yeah, and uh, well, what, whatever track Ford One goes to this year, guess who's the favourites? Yes, it's going to be Mercedes. Freddie, is there anything or anyone that can stop Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas winning this weekend? <laughs> um. No. <laughs> well, actually, Spa hasn't been the happiest of hunting grounds for them. Um, because sort of, you, you kind of look at it as a track that's going to be, on paper, perfect for Mercedes. And in the hybrid, turbo hybrid era of Mercedes, they have only won there three times. And that was 15, 16, and 17. Yes, well, the last two years, a certain Ferrari team have had a pretty powerful engine, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, uh, and the other, the other one was sort of compounded by a retiring Lewis Hamilton and a forced to pit Nico Rosberg. But apart from that, um, it would have been it was Mercedes to lose in all of those races, pretty much. Um, but I think, I don't really know if anyone can get in, in touch with them at all. They seem to, well, they're so far away. And such a long track will give even more opportunity for them to be further away. Yeah. Then it's just, it, 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 again, it's Mercedes to lose. And if they do yeah. lose it, that would be just embarrassing. Oh, that's a, that's a powerful, what embarrassing. Well, depending on how they lose, lose it. If they're like, <laughs> if they're like taken out by a wayward um, Antonio Giovinazzi at the back, then that wouldn't be embarrassing <laughs> for them. But um, if they, if they, I don't know, all I can think that would impact them would be reliability or driver mistakes. Mm. And, you know, that's, 
not what they would want. Yeah, and Verstappen hasn't had the best record at Spa either, as when he looks around. Uh, I think well, Verstappen... I'm under attack from a bug, and he is being very, very cruel. So I am yeah. vaguely distracted. But yes, Max Verstappen it's has been... had cruel luck. Yeah, he has. He's had cruel luck as well. Yeah, nicely done. And I think he's only. I think he's been on the podium once. If that's right, 100% sure. But yeah, if he has, it's just the one time. But last year, he crashed at the start. Uh, in 2016, you know, he clashed with the Ferraris yeah. as well. So, yeah, he hasn't, even though he's actually Belgian-born, isn't he? He, he hasn't had the yeah. best look at, at Spa. Um, I don't think he has been on the podium. Oh, my, my, my mistake. I'm thinking... Unless he we really should have done our research before. He crashed in 2018, didn't he? Did he? I don't know. His front wing. He crashed in 2019. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe he was on the podium in 2018. Sorry, fans, I have to look this up now. <laughs> because it was yeah, definitely we, we... Vettel Hamilton in 2018. He was in third. No, you're right. It was Max Verstappen. Oh, I see. Yeah. Sorry. Well will, prepared. Will, well, well prepared. I will not talk again. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that because everyone would have to listen to my horrible voice for 30 minutes. <laughs> we don't want that. So, yeah. Verstappen, I read in Spain that Red Bull got the suspension. They got the wrong setup with the rear suspensions. were overheated the tyres, which is why... They didn't perform as well compared to, say, Silverstone to when they won the race. So if we do get hot temperatures, and if what it was Helmut Marco who said this, so we take it with a pinch of salt. If if what Helmut Marco is saying uh, is true, then you know Red Bull could be a bit closer in the races like we've seen, and you know Spa is a very high speed circuit. So yeah, I think uh, well, I don't. It's hard to. Better against Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, we can we can look at the fact that if it's hot, this might happen, but it's not going to be hot. Yeah. It's in the mountains in Belgium mm. in end of August, early September, kind of t- uh, August bank holiday, which is yeah hot in the UK, hot in many parts of the world, but in the mountains in Spa, it's normally pretty nippy. So mm. it's a bit. I think we're going to be looking at. A race that's Mercedes to lose, and that's just what I've said yeah. about four or five times. Now. <laughs> uh, the racing point will be closer to Verstappen than usual this weekend. Yeah, I do. I think there's a good opportunity for Racing Point to um, have a excuse me, have a performance like they did in Hungary, where they actually both qualify ahead of the rebels. Oh, okay. But then, do you think Verstappen will get them in the race? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think he would have done if it was dry in Hungary, but um, I was like, yeah, I think so. I think race pace would be better for Red Bull. Mm, yeah. And, well, yeah, I don't know what. Uh, yeah. What, 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 sorry, my mind's gone completely blank. I don't, know, I don't know what to ask mm. you for any. Uh, yeah, the midfield, if Spa is a very power-sensitive circuit, so, you know, uh, are we expecting Ferrari to drop back a bit? How are McLaren going to do? Renault had a poor couple of weekends where they bounced back to form. 
I um I think yeah I think the form book will be pretty similar to how it was in um, Austria. Um, okay. A Ferrari was sort of teetering on out the edge of Q3. Um, same with Renault. Same with Alpha Tauri. Um, I think the 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 big losers are going to be Haas and Alfa Romeo, and probably a big winner would be Williams. Oh, will it? So, do you think this is a chance for Williams to get points? Uh, Williams need to use this chance because of the technical directive with engine modes yeah. coming in. Because the engine modes are what are saving Williams blushes at the moment. Without, because mm. they've got a quite a, actually not the best car. It's kind of draggy, but the engine modes can supersede that and give them quality straight line speed and quality acceleration in qualifying. So that's what helps them get into Q2. And without that coming up in Monza, which we, I'm sure we'll discuss in a bit, um, then Williams really needs to make the most of this. I don't think it's probably. I don't think it's the best chance of points yet. Okay. That was probably yeah. the first Austrian Grand Prix, unfortunately. Um, but I think this is their best chance in the next few races for a good qualifying position. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about the engine modes and a lot has been you know, said about this over the last couple of weeks and uh, it's going to happen at Monza, not this weekend. So this, this weekend is the last time that we'll see what we've had over the last few years with teams using whatever engine modes they can. From Monza, you can only use one engine mode uh, for qualifying and the race essentially. Uh, the only times you can use a different engine mode is on the lap to the grid safety cars virtual safety cars and in and out laps in qualifying uh and yeah the limited is the fuel flow rate the air volume combustion pressure and fuel temperature stuff like that technical stuff and the overtake button is allowed in the race but the errors can still be it's still allowed to be like strategically managed if, if that makes sense. So you can use the errors in different parts of the tracks. But I'm glad that bit is staying because if the errors was you know stuck on, then I think the racing would have been pretty dull. So yeah, Freddie, what do you do? Are you a fan of this change or or not really? It's kind of it's designed to clip the wings of Mercedes because Mercedes qualifying modes are sort of everyone else's nadir. Um, you can look at race pace runs as much as you want in practice and see that Rebel are kind of good. But then in qualifying, they're a second off Mercedes and that's it. That's then any race done. So the intended consequence is to make qualifying closer and then also to then make races a little bit potentially slower for Mercedes and to help the teams who don't have as powerful a qualifying mode as Mercedes do. But it's, it's going to be classic F1 unintended consequences. Um, because there's going to be so much, like, such a feel-good story is, as we've already mentioned, the Williams qualifying well. Um, that's not going to be a thing anymore. Racing point qualifying well, not going to be a thing anymore. So it's, it seems to be just a knee-jerk reaction to something, someone cunningly thinking, hmm, what do Mercedes have that we can limit without coming across as super bad guys, only as mild bad guys? And that's this. And yeah, it's like the Q2 tie rule, but with engine. Well, I'd, I'd say it's even worse than the Q2 tire rule, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't mind yeah, the would. Q2 tire rule, but this is... I really don't understand it because it's designed to 
pull Mercedes back. But right, it might pull them back at best by say half a second in qualifying. But they're still going to be lock out um, the first row. I mean, yeah. you know, the difference between second and third, no matter if you qualify by the head by two seconds or two tenths, the difference between second and third on the grid is still going to be six meters or twelve meters, but more, whatever it is. So it doesn't matter how far yeah. ahead they are in qualifying for the race. Surely the most efficient engine, an engine that can run a higher power mode for longer, will be the engine that would be that would be best. And Mercedes has the most efficient engine. I think that's fair to say. I don't think Honda or Renault or Ferrari are anywhere near. So we could have the so say say this for an example. Honda have to run at say eighty percent of their maximum power. The, you know, because that's and if they go higher, they'll have reliability issues. But if Mercedes are able to run at eighty-five percent, so Mercedes are going to have a constant advantage during the whole race. Whereas normally, you'd see them changing engine mode all the time and to attack and defend and set fastest laps. So I really don't get it, and it could instead of hindering Mercedes, it could actually benefit them, which is just yeah. I don't really get it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not been <laughs> It's just, it's a bit of a clot and it's a bit of a mess. And it's just something that's not going to really do much. No. I don't think. Yeah. The only difference it will make is, like you said, I think Racing Point and Williams are going to be hurt the most by this, especially Racing Point, because they normally, you know, can lock out the third or maybe fourth, they might be on the fourth row, but. But now, uh, they might be clawed back by Renault, McLaren and Ferrari. So it's only going to hurt them, uh, really. That's that's the team I see get, getting hurt the most by it. But, yeah, it's, it's very, very strange. But it, it's yeah. inter- it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. And, and, you know, I, I can just see Mercedes sticking on pole by, like, an even bigger advantage or they have a, or they win by a minute or something and everyone goes crazy, <laughs> oh my God, what are the FIA doing? And I'll be like, well, I told you, <laughs> what, what are they doing? It's, it's, it's very strange. I'm, sorry, I'm going to go on a rant here. The, the, the investment that, that, that has gone into these power units to suddenly limit what, what the teams can do with the engines, I find that very silly as well because millions and hours of work has been spent, you know, to develop these engines, you know, Mercedes have the best power unit and fair play to them. You know, they've they've found the best solutions, but work the hardest, etc. So to now try and limit that, it just goes against F1, you know, being the pinnacle of technology yeah. and stuff and things like that. So I really, really don't get it. And I can't I can't help but feel this is all being done to help Ferrari because Ferrari have had to change their power unit because of whatever happened in 2019 and 2018. So now, you know, other teams have been forced to peg back their engines as well to try and help out Ferrari. Um, I, I find it crazy. I really do. Rant over. <laughs> I think the helping Ferrari point hasn't actually been voiced as much as I thought it would be in mm. in the paddock community kind of thing. I think it very, very much is that. I mean, they're definitely yeah. on Ferrari's side. The actual ruling of the engine 
that we don't even know what was wrong with it from 2019 and 2018. Um, this just goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's uncomfortably... Oh, they've retained their veto in the Concord Agreement. They have... Um, been you know they've allowed to they've been allowed to keep all their wins and all the constructive positions from last last year where they presumably broke the rules with their car um not even fined not even deducted not even disqualified or anything um which is bonkers frankly you kind of think they should be um at least as a team um and then on top of that now this has come out and you know I thought we put to bed the Ferrari International Assistance FIA no, joke no way. around in the I mean, look, 2000s. We spoke in the last podcast about Leclerc having nothing done about his seatbelt. So it's not the first yeah. time Leclerc has done something a bit dangerous. Remember Suzuka last year when he had a flappy front wing and Lewis mm. Hamilton had to dart out of the way because he fell off and uh, Leclerc was able to stay out for uh, quite a long time. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't think he got a penalty for that, or, or he wasn't even looked into. I think so. he got a black and orange flag, actually. Yeah, but that's well, that, well that's worse. Long. That's worse, the black and orange flag, because that means yeah. he was called in by the stewards and by the clerk of the course and everything, not by the team, not by the clerk, not by, <laughs> not by any matter other than they were forced to come in, rather than choosing to come in, and. The whole the, the the situation with the seatbelts as well. Um, Leclerc just came across a bit immature with that. In that, yeah, he took so long to sort of admit to it on the team radio. They they that's been played out obviously because of F1 TV in other countries, people with TV Pro um, are able to then <laughs> clip that, share that round, and um, see that Leclerc had a conversation with his engineer saying oh, there's something not quite right. And it's like, okay, we can't see anything. We can't see anything. My seatbelts are undone. He admits, oh, okay, we should box you then. So they do. And then, yeah. oh my goodness, nothing's been done about that. And we've seen mid-season rule changes in the past that have favoured Ferrari. In 2011, there was the um, blown exhaust ruling. Whatever that was, that's a really difficult one that I cannot remember um, the, the <laughs> intricacies of. Um, but, you know, we don't need to bore you with that now, but that resulted in a one-race change of the rules, which meant that this one thing was allowed for Silverstone. Ferrari won, then the rules were changed back, and Ferrari didn't win the race for the rest of the season. We're both yeah. ranting at this. We seem to think yeah. not a level playing field in Formula One, and that's yeah. true. I'm fit, me and just to say to the viewers who are listening or watching this, me and Freddie love Ferrari. You know, we yeah. love everything about them, the drivers, the history, and everything. But it, I, in terms of Sporting fairness, it's it's hard to look at these changes and think. Well, we wouldn't we're, we're analysing why these changes are happening, why these engine rules are changing, and it's hard to look at it and think, oh, that's gonna help Ferrari, you know. And it, it uh, yeah, I find it, I find it bizarre, and I, I don't see how the FIA are gonna manage it because I've just read yeah. that. That you can turn that you're allowed to turn the engines down if there's a reliability issue or warning sign. So short, the teams that defeats the point. Yes, that defeats the point completely. If what you're going to do is then introduce a new management of the engines, a new way to have to 
limit the use of the engines is to say you've got to pick one qualifying mode that you've got to use for the race or one race mode that you've got to use for qualifying for instance then you can either choose do we go for a really hardcore engine mode and then risk sort of you know wearing the engine a bit do we go conservative and sort of go for a gentle mode but if you just can say you can just have it on full all the time and then say oh no we have reliability concerns so we turn it down a bit but we're always going to have it on full that's just blatant i did not know that was the case that's just pathetic yeah. making anyway if you're going to uh, make the rule make believe, it right there's no yeah, saying this I isn't going to go until 2026 either when they're bringing the new engine yeah. regulations this is going to go on for another five or six years yeah. um, it all it all comes from these turbo hybrid engines are far too complicated they're too expensive as well for my liking and i just i believe the 2014 change to these to the power units that we have now is probably one of the worst things that's happened to Ford one and I, I know that's quite a bold statement and they yeah. had to do it because of road relevance but in terms of the complexity and what it's caused and how the FIA are going to manage this I, I'm, I'm really not a fan of these of these engines for, for, for me fair enough yeah they're very complicated <laughs> they're very yeah they're very well engineered but mm. they just cause a lot of grief it's yes yeah i mean if i had it my way i'd just it just needs to be simple it really needs to be simple. just get a v6 or v8 whatever and strap on a curse system i used to have and that keep it simple we don't need like different buttons and then buttons and sub modes within sub modes and oh it's just this engine, man. This, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think that's enough about that. We'll see what happens. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be impossible to manage, and I don't see how it's going to create any better racing. In fact, it's just probably going to make things worse. Sorry to tell you, Dave. But yeah, we'll see what happens in Monza. It's coming in Monza, not this weekend. This is the last weekend of the, what we normally have. So, mm. yeah. Uh, Freddie, let's talk a little bit about Formula 2. Last week Ooh. it was announced that Yuri Vips is going to replace the injured Sean Galeo. Galeo? Galeo? Yeah, Galeo. Galeo. At, at, at Dams. Uh, so Vips and Dan Tickton. At Dams, two Red Bull. Sorry, Dan Tickton's not a Red Bull Junior, my mistake. <laughs> Former Red Bull Junior. Two fast young drivers. Junior. Yeah, and one very angry one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, how do you think Vips is going to fare? Because he was going to do a super formula season to try and pick up some mm. license points. Do you think he'll adapt well to F2? How well do you rate him? Do you think he'll get to F1 in the next couple of years? I rate Yuri Vips quite highly. He was um, in FIA Formula 3 last year. Um, he... He did well. Wow. He, he stayed into the fight with Robert Schwartzman pretty much till the end. Um, and as a result of that, Red Bull were like, oh, we're not going to keep you in Formula 3. But they did their typical Red Bull thing of not putting him in F2 because they thought he was better than that. I don't really get it most of the time. Because yeah. they did it with um, Dan Tickton as well earlier on and then he ended up leaving the programme. But they put him in Super Formula um, for this year. But obviously with COVID rules, meaning he's not being able to get to Japan, that sort of looked like his his um career sort of stalled a bit and he's had to do some races in Euro Formula Open, I think, or Formula Regional. And yes, quite you know, sort of Formula Three, Formula Four level racing. 
which is it's a bit of a plateau position for him. But this has given him a, a chance to step up, chance to take on what is a, a leading team, Dams, take on their car and, you know, show what he's made of. Because he is a fast driver. He's a very good driver. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how adaptable he is because normally we see a lot of drivers come in mid-season in Formula 2 and they never do anything. They yeah. never can set the world alight. They never can do... I mean, they, they show flashes in that they qualify 14th or 15th or something, and that's good. Very, very good for a rookie. But without any testing regime or anything, that's going to be, it's going to be very hard for him. But I think he'll be very good because he's a very, very quality driver in Series Vips. Mm. If Vips can get any sort of points this weekend in Belgium, that will be incredible, quite frankly. And then that's when Red Bull might start thinking about pushing him into F1 as early as next year with, with uh, Alpha Tori, perhaps, alongside Gasly or, or whatever. Or whatever. whatever. So, Galeo is missing the next three races, isn't he? Because of the incident that happened, these. Uh, Broken um, vertebrae. Yeah, it was a very unusual incident. We haven't seen any footage of it. Yeah, we haven't seen any footage um, at time of recording. Um, obviously, they could have released something. Could be a bit more after this, but we don't know that. Um, but yeah, he's he's had a bit of um, a bit of a torrid time of it. Frankly, on the final lap of the race, pretty much final sector, I think it was. Yeah, it's. He's had a curb collision. We don't know how he's had the collision with the curb, whether he's gone offline, whether he's had a car issue, whether he's had a suspension or steering issue, whether he's been punted into the curb, um, defence or attack. We don't know. Um, but he's hit that. He's been in his seat and he has essentially cracked his back midway in his back. I was taken to hospital pretty much immediately. Um, and is out for the next the next four races, two rounds at least of Formula Two. Yeah. Um, I think he's had an operation that's back that's gone well. So it's just a case of recovery for him. But it's not good that I don't think as an injury, even if it's even if yeah, we can wax lyrical about how we haven't seen anything and why haven't we seen anything? We have a prerogative as fans and as um, media to know about this and to know what's gone wrong for Galil, but. Um, what's good is that he's really okay but why has this been allowed to happen in a seat these seats are moulded to the driver to entirely prevent their backs getting broken to prevent uh, to keep them in, in a structure to keep them in a monocot that in a survival cell that keeps them safe and keeps them fit and keeps them healthy and clearly there's just something massively wrong with this seat in this dams car Mm, as the seat yeah. cracked, as the carbon fiber cracked, as the floor cracked in the car and then th- thrown him down, I don't know. He's yeah. lucky he's not paralyzed. Mm, they, and they need, Dams needs to look at that. Dams needs to yeah. look at that. Dams are a front running outfit. Dams, you know, they're, they're very, very good in every formula they do. They do junior formulas across the way. They do, um, they do the Nissan Edams program in Formula E. So they know what they're doing. This is um, it's a bit sloppy, I think. Mm. Yeah, we'll see what comes from any investigations. So we're talking a little bit about F2 then. We've got Callum Eilert 
still leading the championship. Uh, he's had a bit of a scruffy weekend in Spain. In fact, yeah. he, he could have won four of the last six races, just thinking yeah. about it, if he didn't have the stalls at Silverstone and stuff like that. He could have been dominating the championship. Do you think Racecraft is... Is, is a possible weakness of him which might stop him getting an F1 seat because he clearly he's, he's got the pace I think even if he's had all of it we look at him and look at him and think he's one of the most unluckiest drivers on the grid currently in Formula 2 but he's mm-hmm, yeah. championship. so I think with that much bad luck but still that much that, that amount of points currently it would be foolish to pass him over for a seat in Formula 1 if you're looking at a Formula 2 driver I think, because with that amount of bad luck and to still get good results, then when he gets the good results, they're very good results, clearly. Mm. And I think what could have been currently does speak for a lot in Formula 2. They've had a lot of um, reliability niggles in this car they've got at the moment, um, particularly in the first year of it in 2018. There are a few were carried over in 2019, but there seems to have still been quite a few this year. Um, so I think what could have been is a big question in Formula 2 at the moment. I think with a Callum Eilat, all of his what could have been are very good. Racecraft, I don't know. Um, the tyres in Formula 2 are so, oh, so bizarre. Watch an F1. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're so bizarre. That, um, do you think that, that needs to change? Do you, think, do you think they need to make the tyres more durable? Because see, mm. seeing them, you know, doing 10 seconds off the pole time is not, a good indication for, for me as to how good they will be in F1. This is good for yeah. management, I guess, but it's good you know, for we want to see what raw pace they have. It, yeah, we want to see raw pace, but you can see the raw pace and the adaptability. Because like someone like Guan Yu Zhou, he's, you know, people sing his praises in Formula 2 and he's done very well in Formula 2. But in Formula 3 or something, he wasn't really there um, so much. He was sort of middle of the road. Felipe Djokovic, he got yeah. one points finish in FIA Formula 3 last year and he's won races in Formula 2 so there's clearly differences in the in the cars that sort of enable some drivers to do well and some not and I think there's sort of a level of adaptability that you need to prove in Formula 2 and I think that's good to give a challenge you can't just have drivers going flat out until they get to Formula 1 Unless that's going to be the case in Formula One, which is an entirely different debate, which we probably think mm. actually, yeah, fair enough. But anyway, <laughs> Formula One needs an adaptable, careful, managing driver who's mature with it all, and you can really earn that maturity in Formula Two with the current tyres. I think. I think with this year's F two grid, I don't see a superstar driver. I think Eilat Schwartzman. I think they could be, you know, a bit like Perez, you know, a really good midfield driver yeah. of Magnussen, maybe. But I think they're not going to be a Leclerc or Verstappen. Uh, so I think, you know, people, if they do go into F1, they have to lower their expectations a bit. Because in the last few years, F1 has been very lucky to have Russell, Norris, Leclerc, you know, all, all go into F1 and all looking really good. So... Uh, while I do think Eilat uh, is a really strong driver, I wouldn't expect him to lit to light the fire in F1. Yeah, I, I do understand that. I think Eilat um, impressed me this year because 
last year he was he left a little bit to be desired, but he he was good. But he really, you know, he really worked on laying a foundation for this year and he's done that really well. Some drivers come in and want to do really well straight away and sort of struggle a bit and struggle to sort of pick themselves up into their second season. Someone like Louis Delatras, for instance, who's a fast driver. He's very popular, very, very rated. But there's sort of an element we just not quite able to sort of pick up his performance and manage it and take us to the next level. What Ilot has done this year is he has really stepped up his game. Um, yeah. And I think that speaks volumes about him as a driver. Mm, definitely. Uh, yeah, Formula 2 is on this weekend as usual at the usual times with the feature race after Formula 1 qualifying the sprint race at about 10 o'clock UK time, I think yeah. it is, before the F1. And then duh, duh, they've got a triple head as well with uh, Monza and Mugello. So, frantic stuff, really. We still don't know when the Formula 2 finale is. I think on the website it only goes up to uh, Sochi, doesn't yes. it? So I think either whether they have the finale in Sochi or if they tie it over and have Bahrain or Abu Dhabi at the end as well. Who knows? Yeah. But Formula 3 said they're only going to have... Uh, they're only going to go up to Mugello, I think. Okay. I think that is the case with F3. But F2, they normally... You know, go to Abu Dhabi. Well, they normally go to Bahrain as well. So, you know, we could we'd be interested to see how many rounds because they normally have twelve rounds in the normal season. And yeah, you know, like by the end of this triple head, yeah, by the end of this triple header, there will have been nine. No, yeah, not nine rounds. So, nine rounds, yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where 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 they go. Uh, yeah, let's have some. Predictions then for the F1. Ready? Let's let's go with the boring stuff first. Who's yeah. gonna win the 2020 Belgian Grand Prix? Go. Lewis Hamilton will win the 2020 <laughs> Belgian Grand Prix. Insert sponsor here. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go with Bottas. Oh, he's yeah. gone Bottas. He's gone Bottas. Gone Bottas. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Third place. Third place. Um, Stroll. Perez. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. What the predictions can we um, give? What do you think will happen at turn one? Minute by minute. Go. Minute by minute. I so, think yeah. it'll be a very clean start. Because weirdly, over the last 12 months or so, have you not noticed uh, the cars are more even off the start line? Because I, I think mm. seven or eight years ago when you had the V8, in the V8 engine era, you used to get really different, differing starts. But nowadays, everyone more or less gets equalish start. And I find that really weird. I don't know why that is. Is it too easy, maybe? Or... Well, no, it's not easy. They've got, to, they've got to feed in the clutch with their fingers and then bring in another... Bring in like then to go gentle on the throttle, but you when you want a floor, you've got to go gentle. You've got to feed out the clutch, and um, and sort of bring in another paddle. I think it sort of depends. You've got like weird sort of things you've got to do with your different fingers. You've got to be incredibly ambidextrous to be able yeah. to start an F1 car and then to start it competitively. I mean, I think it's just they all got used to to it. I think 
Maybe. I just think I about think. Fernando Alonso and his Ferrari days. You know, he used to make up four or five positions on the start. You yeah. Know, in Spain, 2011, Monza 2011, he went from fourth to first, I think. But we don't really see, you know, that anymore. You, know, I well, you could, yeah, you could, um, weird. no coincidence. Yeah, because yeah, you kind of would have thought that with these so much torque in the current power units, that it'd be much more wheel spin, much harder to get off the line. Mm. So you'd think a driver who could manage it better would do do better. Well, we saw Lance yeah. Stroll. He's he's famously good at managing to low grip. So it might be mm. he, he did well in this start in Spain. So I don't know whether something like that will come into play. But yeah, I think you're right. Spa has um, a diamond cut grid, which means that it's got lots of sort of little grooves going widthways across the circuit on the grid, which provides a lot of grip anyway. Um, for a standing start, it sort of aids it aids a standing start if it were wet, that kind of thing. It gives provides mm-hmm. more grip, so um, that's interesting to see because that will give the cars, you know, all brilliant launches anyway, and will mean the speed will be a lot higher going into a very tight corner than you would expect with with the distance up to La Source from from the grid. Yeah. Uh... So that's my answer for that one. I think it'll be clean. Yeah. Okay, cool. It'll be anything major. It'll, it'll, but the run up to I reckon an Alpha will be very exciting. I reckon an Alpha Tauri will get spun round. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll say that. laughs> Do you the classic think... Martin Brundle three into one doesn't go. <laughs> Do you think there will be a safety car maybe that might change things? Because usually every year there's a race or two where the virtual safety car comes out at a weird time and then uh, whoever's in third or fourth you know, benefits massively and wins the race from it. And I don't think we've seen... Well, we nearly got it in the first Austria race, didn't we? Albon we did, didn't yeah. Well, spin we did. with Hamilton. So, yeah. well, that's what gave Hamilton his fourth place finish in the end. So it did kind of mess it up a touch. Um, I think... You can't call it, can you? Who knows what's yeah, going to happen yeah. on a lap? 26. Um, <laughs> no, no idea. But if something does happen, Spa's an interesting one for it to happen because a safety car start at Spa is oh, good for the leader because yeah. it's similar to Baku. Like you've said, with the, the Kemmel straight at the top, you've got, so you've got the straight into turn one, then you've got heavy braking zone, then you've got the straight down to Eau Rouge, you go up Eau Rouge, and then that's essentially two and a half kilometres if you go from La Source up to Lake Om. Maybe even I think two and a half kilometers is about right. And yeah. the majority of that is going to be slipstream, slipstream, slipstream. So you're going to have probably about three rows of cars, four rows of cars side by side. If you get a safety car start there. So yeah. I think that's going to be an interesting one to look out for. I do remember in 2016, we had a fantastic race in Spa. Very interesting. 2016. With, um, that was on Hampton started at the back. Um, there was a red oh, flag yeah. for Magnussen's massive crash, actually, which wasn't yeah. nice. That was a scary accident. Um, but it seemed to be, I don't know, I seem to quite like that race from memory. I liked 2017, Hamilton versus Vettel. You know, they went for yeah. toe-to-toe. And there was a safety car restart there, but sadly mm-hmm. Ferrari didn't have the special engine advantage yet. So Vettel couldn't quite uh, get Hamilton. He pulled alongside. I know. remember being really impressed that Vettel could keep with him for that race. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I was listening to that. I was one. I remember where I was for that one. I was in a campsite listening to it on the radio. <laughs> and um, 
it was baking with heat and I was slightly delirious in the heat. I was getting vague sunstroke, I think, and listening to this race on the radio um, from my phone, just sort of thinking, oh, 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 about the whole thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's an insight for all of you. Um, I think it, I think it'd be a good rate. Yeah. We've, we've back, we've lacked, li- waxed lyrical. We've lacked lyrical about spa for this um, whole podcast. We both absolutely love the track. So I think it's going to be a really good one. Just to see F1 at frankly. So yeah. you don't get us on tracks. It no, will be don't. better than the Spanish Grand Prix from a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure. <gasps> How could you say such a thing? <laughs> it, will, it will be Last better than the Spanish what, Grand Prix. End of. Last thing then, Freddie, what, what is your favourite Belgian Grand Prix from the, I think, 35 years it's it, F1 have been there for? No, more than that, actually. Yeah, might be more. Yeah. Uh, or favourite memory, favourite race, favourite memory from, from Spa? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you I, mean, spot I, I, was, I, was, I was there in 2015, so that's a good one. Um, the race was a bit weird. Because it was just Hamilton leaning Rosberg for the whole thing, essentially, after the yeah. starts got sorted out. Vettel's tyre blew out. Vettel's tyre blew out and Grosjean's podium after Grosjean mm. driving a stellar race, frankly, to yeah. get there to do it. It was one of his best drives in Formula 1, definitely. Um, definitely the best drive of any driver in 2015, that was, I think. I'd say mm. Grosjean's drive in Spa 2015. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's probably my favourite moment was Grosjean's podium, actually. Ooh, all right. What counts against that one is the incredibly scary crash. But yes. that's got one of my favourite yeah. pieces of commentary in that race in F1 is um, where later on in the race, it's raining heavily if you haven't seen it, uh, David Coulthard is about to get lapped by Michael Schumacher. Um, David Coulthard no, get, pulls to the side. Michael Schumacher is taking kind oh, of an ordinary God. line. Yeah, that's it. It's that. <laughs> Michael Schumacher careers into the back of him, and you just see nothing. And yeah. shouts, "Oh God!" And <laughs> oh no, it's terrifying commentary, but it's, it's a Murrayism that's gone down very well. And then obviously Schumacher, then yeah. with the look of thunder <laughs> on his face, it's just that's the prime Schumacher view, isn't it? Just the yeah. absolute fury. <laughs> someone who's had a world championship ripped from him right there. Yeah, that was a crazy race. Another, another crazy race was, I think it was 1995, it might be before, where oh, Schumacher was yeah. on dry tyres in the wet or something, and he held mm. off Damon Hill for a, a couple of laps. And yeah, that was... Schumacher that started in dry life. tyres wet thing. Schumacher started, yeah. <laughs> Way down the order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good race. Um, Damon Hill did, did quite well at Spa, actually. Mm. But, um, yeah. Yeah. There's been so many good races. I think 2005 as well, when there was another big crash at Rouge. That was the last race with the uh, older layout. 2008 as well. The, uh, 1958. 1958 <laughs> was a good one. I don't remember it. Um, <laughs> I've read about it. I think it was Tony Brooks in the Van Wall. Was he was partnered with Sterling Moss and he just pushed and pushed and pushed and forced Sterling Moss into missing a gear and then 
breaking the engine, basically blowing the engine up at Stavolo, and then Tony Brooks went and won the race. There's there's lots of stories back in the day of Spa being it's a proper mm. driver's track. Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, people who hated it because it was a 14 kilometer yeah marathon circuit like a mini border stuff yeah yeah exactly on public roads it was a horrible track to drive back in the day um i think they've got it on project cars if you want to go around that (laughs) like but go like go in like a car that's two miles an hour otherwise you won't get around it's it's that (laughs) it's but like there's so many stories of fantastic drives at spa it's a it's it's a track that scares drivers frankly yeah. It did scare drivers. It still does to an, an extent, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah. Even I've I've always thought Kiwi Raikkonen is the king of Spa. I think he's won there four times. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he's exceptional around there. So yeah, we 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 love Spa, and we've got the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. So uh, yeah, we're we're both looking forward to it. And Adam. Should be back very soon, so you don't just have to listen to me and Freddie. Mm. You get to listen to the wonderful voice of Adam Dickinson. He's got well. a lot to catch up on. He has. So I think it be, that's it. Ooh, yes. It would be remiss of us to go into Spa without mentioning Antoine Hubert, who yeah. is coming to a yeah. year since his passing, and it is big crash mm. with Juan Manuel Correa as well last year. And um, yeah, we just want to. Yeah, we we obviously. Um, we were both watching that weekend and it was yeah, horrific news it to was hear. Horrible. It was a horrible accident and yeah. Um, just yeah, Antoine's going to be in, I think I can say for Nigel, I think for the majority of the community he's going to be in everyone's thoughts this weekend. So mm. um, yeah. Just yeah. Yeah, it best was... wishes to everything. Yeah, and we, we, we always hope for a safe race as well. As always, I think people forget about that you know the safety in F1 and F2 how far it's come so yeah we hope for a safe race and a good race this weekend and we will be reviewing it at some point Sunday or Monday and then yeah we've got another three races to come in thick and fast again with Formula 1 so I think that's it for this podcast we will see you next time bye